When this decade started, I was a young man. I was, I was like 10. <laughs> I was a baby. So the idea of coming up with a fucking top 10 of the decade is quite difficult because there's so many films that come out. You change so much year to year. It makes no sense to make a top 10. Really? Mm. It doesn't make any sense. What were you doing in 2010, Simon? <laughs> well, uh, or was that when you ran the porn studio? The porn studio, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was on the cusp of becoming it. Because you sold that just before I met you. Pornographer, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You sold it just before I met you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a weird decade for me. Uh, it's been quite distracting. I've not been able to concentrate on films as much as I would like. It's because of your bladder problem. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. And it's, you know, frankly, yeah, I kind of feel like... Uh, the opportunity to compile a top 10 list came together. I was like, if it wasn't for my fucking bladder problem... I would have been able to watch so much more movies. <laughs> I totally agree with I you. I don't think that I'm uh, an authority on this at all. I can well, talk, I can tell you about bladder, but I can't tell you about movies. Who can be an authority on 10 years of film, like when you start the decade as a 10-year-old? <laughs> it's so difficult. So, yeah. And also, all the top 10 lists I read, they're, like, they're all fucking, like films I've never even heard of. Like mm. They're all just nonsense movies that no one's even fucking heard of. But and the, then the yeah. movies that I have heard of are shit that I don't like. The good news <laughs> is that we've heard of all the films in this list. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> point. Our top ten list is excellent and definitive. I would say definitive of the decade. <laughs> cool. Stop laughing. <laughs> so anyway, this is our definitive top ten of the decade by Art Cinema Fart Cinema. Uh, we're not trying to be pretentious. We don't, we don't want to act like we know everything about films because obviously there's one or two things we don't know. Well, we do know pretty much everything about film. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, we have talked for a long time about film on this podcast, which means we must know a lot. So... <laughs> I think I know more about films than anyone. I think... I think... I'm like the Donald Trump of, like, uh, film, <laughs> film reviewers. Do you... <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do you ever watch like a an interview with someone like steven spielberg or you're a or like, fucking idiot yeah, yeah. you fucking don't know anything about films like sure you can make a couple yeah. like oh great you made raiders of the lost ark oh great. yeah i did a shit that probably looked better than that fucking movie okay yeah anyway this is not a pretentious list this is a total like we're gonna go right down the middle with this we're making sure this isn't oh and also because we're like a dumb movie podcast like we're fun fart movies, whatever. This is not like the best bad movies, you know. This is genuinely like a, a list of the movies that we thought were really good uh, this decade, so. I Splendid. Th I think, I think. Without further ado. Art Cinema Fart Cinemas. City Lit. So, I think for number 10... Yeah, number 10 with the bullet. What is it then? Uh, so number 10, I think, is uh, a movie that I think reflects really well the change of technology that we've seen this decade. So we've seen basically the way that we kind of communicate to each other and the way that we learn the news and the way that we interface with politics has just been completely changed uh, in the last 10 years uh, through, of course, things like Facebook. So I think it's obvious now that the number 10 is The Social Network. The 2010 film by David Fincher. Mm -hmm. um, so this film basically launched Jesse Eisenberg into the stratosphere as a leading man to break into the mainstream in uh, in Batman versus Superman, Real, and Now You See Me. So three really important movies. The Social Network has got absolutely amazing fight choreography. I think you'd agree. Yeah. And um, it's also got kind of beautifully cheesy, kind of self-aware pastiche style 80s action thriller dialogue. 
I especially love like the kind of iconic line, you know, at this point everyone knows it. It's a uh, face, meet book, and uh, stop poking me. I have to focus on my farmville. Um, I think these are two really iconic pieces of dialogue that we've come to kind of love from, from the social network. Yeah. I also think that some of the kind of blood and guts of the movie might be a little bit off-putting for some viewers. No, I think, yeah, this film is really fast-paced and high energy, uh, but I think it also serves as a perfect origin story for my one and only hobby, which is to go on Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously my favourite scene, I think it's most people's favourite scene with this, is when Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew Garfield's character uh, do pottery together. And that wonderful song. <laughs> yeah. Unchained Melody Unchained song. Melody, yeah, yeah, where yeah. their hands are just covered in the clay and they're the both clay. kind of rubbing the clay yeah. over each other. I think that's great. Or, or when Mark Zuckerberg invents the dabbing. I think that was kind of, that's quite... It's something that we don't often kind of see in movies when characters invent kind of iconic pop culture things, which is cool. And also, I think the recent talk of sequels with this film uh, make me very excited because it's obviously been 10 years since this film came out now. So I can't wait to see the, the kind of social media cinematic universe come about. It'll really take flight, I think. There'll be another... There'll maybe be a, a TikTok movie and a Snapchat movie, you know, all, all this kind of... And then at the end, they'll all come together uh, in the, in the you know, basically the end game of, of social media movies. So exactly, I'm looking yeah. forward to it, man. There'll yeah. be an assemble first and then an end game. And, yeah, assemble and then a, a age of movie and then, mm-hmm. and then an end game. Oh, no, an Infinity War, then an end game. So they're going to follow a pretty decent formula, I think. So, yeah, I think... So number 10 definitely is going to be the social network. Brilliant. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. The Social Network's got amazing fight choreography. <laughs> <laughs> the boat scene, the rowboats, amazing. You know. Right. Well, my number nine, uh, and I, I, I have to apologise that a lot of people won't have heard of this film. I, di- I didn't do this deliberately. It's not like, a, hey, I know like obscure films that have dis- you know disappeared under the radar. I'm not doing that. I honestly, heartfeltedly think that one of the great films is a film called Stuck in Love. Stuck in Love? I haven't yeah. seen this, actually. Yeah, and it has Greg Kinnear in it as, like, a, a writer who's got writer block since his, uh, you know, since uh, his, his wife left him. He's got children who are aspiring writers, one at university age, one at school age. Good luck. It's one of those great things. It opens with the line, I remember that it hurt. Looking at her hurt. Later on, about 20 minutes into the film... Greg Kinnear discovers this line in a diary written by his son and tells his son that, you know, if you start a book with this line, you'll have your audience hooked. So essentially what the director and writer of the film's doing is pointing out that he writes great lines. Mm. It's like taking the time to point out to the audience how fucking talented he is. Yeah, this is art. This is great stuff, you you know? know? Yeah, like, I I love when art, like, lets lets you know how good it is through means that are kind of a little bit more obvious. Like by just grabbing the back of someone's head with like the hair in your knuckles and just shoving their face right in it. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I think that movies can often be too subtle and I I prefer when... I I often prefer when movies can kind of take the opposite tact and be really, really obvious and um, they can kind of blow you out with how kind of blatant they can be, I think. That's actually a really underrated skill in in cinema and I think we need more of that in film. Blatant bluntness. Yeah, there's not Uh, enough, there's not enough obvious movies. I I think there needs to be way, there's too many subtle films, right? And not enough self-congratulatory, like, he he, he congratulated himself on a killer line 20 minutes into the movie 
he pointed out, you know, did did you notice the, the line that started this film? It was amazing. Yeah, it was like I really don't, I, you know, I, I have to stop you here twenty yeah. minutes into the film and point this out to you. Mm. You know, so any yeah. any any filmmaker that's brave enough to do that. Of course, we're going to end up on a top ten list, you know. Yeah. That kind of self reflexivity is is very uh, kind of <clears throat> it re- resembles something like the work of Kurt Vonnegut or or of course uh, Italo Calvino, you know. Like it's it's like literature. This is like literature on film. So yeah. I think any time a movie is like that, you have to commend it. You're right. I think this is definitely one of the top movies of the decade. I think we can, yeah. So it's stuck in love. It's definitely if, if you've never heard of it. It's the best film you've never heard of from this decade and just make sure that you remedy it as soon as possible by sitting down and watching. Yeah, well, thanks for that. That's great. I, I can't wait to check it out. So on to our next film. I think this is one that's going to be on quite a lot of top 10 lists of the decade. It may even be in the top of some of them, but I'm putting it a little bit lower. Is Get Out, the 2016 film, oh, Get Out. Oh, wonderful. Um, so this is a film from the mind of Jordan Peele and, of course, starring Key and Peele. And uh, this film is a really clever and commentary-filled tour de force. It's an absolute horror that this film isn't recognised more. Uh, it's it's <clears throat> a tragically underlooked movie. Mm. Um, I think it's really great that Key and Peele can take on much more serious work after after their comedy series. So Key and Peele had a comedy series, and this is their first movie that they did together out of uh, out of doing their comedy series. So. This movie is a John Wick-styled satire. It's a biting comedy satire of the underworld. And the use of a sort of central kitten used as a metaphor is a subtle means of calling out these kind of John Wick-style films uh, and their audiences, you know, basically being pussies, you know. This is a a really powerful metaphor, I think, that that they use. And I know that because this film flew under the radar so much, um, and I know I've mentioned that it's going to be on quite a lot of, of lists, it didn't do very well. It was very. It was. I think it had a fifteen million budget and made about twenty million. So it didn't do exceptionally well. So I want to give you the plot synopsis just because I know that you've not seen this, Simon. Mm-hmm. You've not seen Get Out, so yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is just from IMDb. When the adorable kitten of an LA crime kingpin unexpectedly enters the life of two cousins, uh, and these are played by Key and Peele, they will have to go through tough gangs, pitiless hitmen, and ruthless drug dealers who all claim him to get him back. How hard can it be? And I think the film answers how hard it can be by kind of successively showing us the zany situations and kind of uh, riotous, satire-driven uh, situations that these two cousins can get into with this kitten. So I think, yeah, no. I- I've watched this film in four different languages, and I think it gets funnier every time I watch it because in a different language it just sounds a bit funnier. Obviously the slapstick comedy kind of resembles like a Marx Brothers kind of comedy, uh, so it's, it's much more kind of sophisticated than just, oh, I fell on my head! You know, it's, it's really subtle comedy that also happens to be physical, but um, because I've listened to it in four different languages, I find it's actually really funny uh, because lang- different languages sound funny. So French as a language is really funny. It's, it's like all weird sounds like, oh, oui, oh, yeah! It makes me laugh. So I think that actually adds to the comedy if you watch this film in a different language, especially French. And I think, obviously, finally, I'll just mention the surprise that Keanu Reeves voices the kitten, uh, who's also called Keanu. I think that's it's pretty satisfying. I think the satisfaction of discovering that Keanu the kitten is uh, is voiced by Keanu Reeves was akin to finding out what Rosebud means in Citizen Kane. Like, I think it's, it's on that kind of level. So in that regard, totally one of the best of the decade. Really, really clever satire movie. That's Get Out, yeah. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, So this is just from IMDb. When the adorable kitten of an LA crime kingpin unexpectedly... (laughs)
<laughs> Different languages sound funny. So, like, uh, like French is all like, oh, we, oui, oh, you know, it's like. <laughs> Again, I think that another film that's going to be on many lists, and it's, it's going to be my next choice of, of the decade. I think this is like number, uh, is it eight, nine, seven? What is it? I can't remember. But anyway, no, the, the next film I'm talking about is uh, Fault, uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Ah, perfect. Very, very, very strong and heartbreaking film. It's actually the same director and writer that did Stuck in Love that made this. Uh, but this is based on a book by someone quite well known as yeah, well. Yeah, John Green. Yeah, John Green. When I bought this film, that's, you know, over the you know the DVD of it, um, the, the the woman that that served me said, "Are you a fan of John Green?" And I just nodded my head. And <laughs> when I, when I went away, I was like, "That, that was that was a total opening. I could have I could have really struck up a conversation there and changed my life, but I've I've, I've let it go." But anyway, you, you know, could these, you could have been like Hazel Grace Lancaster and Augustus Waters in this film. Could have been could have been the same story, but it. it didn't happen. I didn't pounce on it. But there we go. Anyway, uh, when I got home and watched the film, of course, the, the transforming power of love was mm. uh, was um, kind of you know rendered to me so perfectly by the film that that me- I immediately thought about my missed opportunity that day. And that's one of the great things about film is when you immediately just uh, contemplate your own life in mm. response to to what you're seeing on screen. Uh, I really, I'm really impressed with uh, the actor. His name is Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Yeah, exactly. Right, he yeah. plays Augustus Waters, and one of the things that Augustus Waters likes to do is just look at people. He, he, t- he says this to Hazel Grace. I, I, I like looking at you because you're beautiful. When they're in, they, they meet in a support group for can- uh, cancer patients. That's right. And uh, you know, not only does he like looking at her, but he likes looking at her in a, a total static way, so static that I actually thought that they probably swapped him for like a cardboard cutout to kind of achieve mm. it as a special effect almost like yeah. to actually like I actually thought that they'd swap the actor out and it was like a cardboard cutout was sitting there just statically mm. looking at her staring at her piercing with yeah. the eyes it's definitely one of the better performances of the decade yeah. I think. it's a very I mean, strong piece of acting let's face it can you convince someone, you know, in the next 10 minutes that you're a cardboard cutout? No. No, no I can't do it. No, I definitely can't. He can do it. Mm. Angel Elkert, what, what was his name a- again? Angel Olsen. Angel Olsen, yeah, yeah. He he can do it. He can stiffen himself right up like a board. And, uh, I mean, you know, that that's like a, a really strange thing to just witness. Uh, I think when, when you witness an actor getting stiff in front of you, um, it's definitely it's a powerful thing. So we saw that in um, in Body of Evidence as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where Willem Dafoe got very stiff in front of us as an audience member. And mm-hmm. Powerful yeah. stuff. I think that was the best of one of the best of its decade uh, back in the day. You know, you were um, talking about key <clears throat> lines of like uh, what was it with uh, with the face and book thing. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the key line of this is when um, Hazel Grace's mom comes to pick her up, and she says, "I've made plans with Augustus Waters," and I just hope that one day I can say the same thing that I've made plans with Augustus Waters. Yeah, with your Augustus Waters. Yeah, with my Augustus. That maybe that woman uh, served me the DVD in in the shop. Yeah. Maybe that's my Augustus Waters, and she I just need be. to, you know, endeavour to get back to that point again in my life where I'm served by her 
mm-hmm. she mentions John Green, and instead of just going, yeah, you know, maybe just you maybe know, there's more more kind of power behind it. I can now yeah, that you've been emboldened by watching this film. Exactly. Yeah, it can it can teach me to be a better person. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> on to number uh, seven on our list is, uh, and this is a bit of a late edition because this film only just came out, but it's Frozen Two. Uh, so this film came out in 2019, and uh, I think this film, I, although this film comes out late in the decade, I think because it comes out so late, it really does a good job at summing up Disney's output in this decade, uh, in the 2010s. This film is so deep, you know, and it says so much despite doing so little, you know. Yeah, I think Frozen 1 was obviously a, an absolute smash hit, but it was obviously much more of a crowd pleaser. This is far more of a a more difficult film to contend with and uh, it, it kind of forces you to kind of interface with it slightly differently. So I think this, this film does a really good job at, of teaching kids the lesson that this will all make sense when I'm older and I think that's a really powerful and positive thing for kids to learn through song. Uh, this is one of Olaf's songs which is this will all make sense when I'm older. Um, I think this is really important for kids to learn because ignorance is a really really unappreciated thing nowadays. I think for kids to be made ignorant and for kids to be told that Things will just make sense when you're older. Just do do what I tell you. Things will make sense when I'm older. I think that's so such a powerful thing for Disney to be putting into people's minds. I, I really I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, and this film's really it's, it's kaleidoscopic. It's um it feels like five movies all at once. Uh, it feels like five films that have been like molded together, uh, which is really satisfying because after a six year wait, we got five films instead of just one. We got five movies crammed together, um, which was really nice. So instead of one story, we got five bits of five stories uh, so it was like a you know it's like a kaleidoscopic vision this one's got a really important environmental message as well which is timely as well as is timeless uh, and it basically tells us to kind of live in harmony with nature and respect indigenous people uh, and i think that we can really support that as as art cinema for art cinema um, and i think we can also support this further by making sure that we buy the plastic toys that disney makes of this film as well as going to the theme parks of disney by flight I know that people have opposed the parks being built on their land, uh, but I do feel like the, this kind of meaningless controversy is very secondary to the environmental message and the kind of social message that Disney's putting out here, you know? Because um, I, I, know, I know Disneyland's have been built on land that, you know, people don't want to have Disneyland's on them, but I think it's far better that we understand the message of a film like Frozen 2 than kind of get too swept away with criticising the company that espouses these values, you know? Also, I really, I absolutely adore that this film feels like they wrote the songs first and then alter the story around them. Uh, and I think this may herald in a brand new type of filmmaking in which we just get five songs and then write a, write a story about them. So say if you just put your iPod and shuffle, then put on, say, Welcome to New York by Taylor Swift and then mm. uh, give me another song, Simon. What, what else? Shake It Off by Taylor Shake Swift. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift. By Taylor Swift, yeah, sure. So we could have a whole movie based around these songs that we just come up with based on the songs which is a really powerful new way of making films I think so this movie is you know it's ultimately a story I think that had to be told it wasn't but but born out of a kind of profiteering or or financial necessity it was nothing like that it was they clearly had a had an idea of what they wanted to do with Frozen 2 and they just did it and I think you really have to appreciate that uh, so I think Frozen 2 late in the game but I'm, I have to add it to uh, to our to our top 10 I really do I think it's one of the best of the decade certainly one of the best Disney films I think it's a really really well done film that's excellent so at number 6 I've chosen a film called The Rewrite 
and it was written uh, it's you know sorry um, just to be clear is this the rear right or is this the rewrite like like rewriting something to rewrite something write w r i t e and it was uh, it's the like fourth collaboration between Hugh Grant and the director who also made music and lyrics and two weeks notice ah and wonderful movies of their respective decade something about the morgans as well with i can't remember but mm. this is the, their fourth time out and a lot of people might criticize that as you know being predictable repeating yourself but it's the, it's the old uh, what's what's ain't, what ain't broke you don't fix it you know also let's face it if you're going to revise you know refine if you're going to refine over time that means you're hitting the same place you know just that little bit stronger each time and this is the strongest hit that this director has managed to do mm. in this area of we've got Hugh Grant as our central character he has to learn a life lesson he has to learn about good family values and you know essentially come out of it a changed man inspiring you know so this is a guy you know he shows up at a school he's a, he's a failed scriptwriter he's had one success but now he's he's failing to kind of capitalize on it his one like glory days film that he made like uh, maybe 15 years ago or something and he's he's now so stuck that he's got to take a teaching job 172 miles northwest of new york you know and uh mm. what what an absolute palaver for him yeah no no um and he, you know, on arriving in this town, he immediately like hooks up with one of his students and like wakes up with her in, in the room. You know, and he's 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 got no idea about you know what it is to be a great teacher. Does this does it reflect kind of Me Too anxieties and Me Too contemporary Me Too discussions? Absolutely, and uh, you know, like so to go from finding out that lust is such a dangerous thing to fall to follow your lust. This lesson of lust is dangerous turn back towards love you know whenever i feel the shallow impulse of lust i just punch myself in the genitals because that's mm. a way of like teaching your body that pain comes right after lust yeah you can condition yourself like a dog condition like pavlov's dog mm. you know muscle memory in fact the next time i feel lust i'll feel the pain in my crotch before i even punch myself is what yeah. i'm aiming for yeah because your genitals have muscles yes yeah, so there you go. There's no you don't want to punch yourself in the heart when you feel love because you want to kind of continue feeling love. Turn towards love and away from lust. So like the film is 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 great. It's uh you, you see um they use real life footage, a, a real life clip. Hugh Grant watches a clip of himself receiving an award and they've obviously just edited around it. So you see a clip of you know probably from the four weddings and the funeral days. Uh but they've reworked it so that you hear off camera uh his kind of voice continues and he starts talking about his son fictional son in the film he describes his son as the only thing he had a hand in producing not in desperate need of a rewrite and i just think that's such a way great way of like, br- bringing the the title of the film into the movie where you're like rewrite is what the film is called right and exactly. he's and he's ca- he's calling his son. He's just called his son something that doesn't need rewritten. Yeah. So it's he's very powerful. Yeah. So he's got to rewrite himself. But not his son. But not his son. Yeah. yeah. It's very very powerful stuff. And while we're on, you know, even like they even bring in J.K. Rowling. You know, J.K. Rowling, obviously the author of the Harry Potter books, but one of the best writers of all time. Hugh Grant's agent. 
quotes J.K. Rowling in kind of a sort of life lesson sort of way. It's like, she says, failure. Remember what J.K. Rowling says about failure. Mm. She says, failure frees you from the inessential. You know, once you're a failed person, it focuses you. You focus on the thing that you can actually, you know, do that's worth something. You know, how many times have you felt in your life that, you know, oh, you're success, you're succeeding, so you just frivolously throw your time away and your energy mm. and your... You, you need know, to fail to win. You need to... F- failing is winning. Failing is winning. Failing is a form of winning. And J.K. Rowling knows this, and, you know, the rewrite, to actually, like, bring in the words of someone so empowering like that, uh, and for it to not feel, like, hackneyed or, like, tagged in there for no reason at all, mm. I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, wonderful um, contribution. Yeah, thank you very much. That's that's excellent. Uh, so, yeah, because your genitals have muscles. Yes. So. Art <laughs> <laughs> cinema, fart cinemas, city lit.